Hello, and welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly and social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed here are solely the opinions of the participants and do not represent any Grand Lodge statements or positions. Make sure you keep your conversations open for the public and on the level. To interact with us, send questions and comments to the Facebook event page or in the chat running alongside this YouTube video. You may even appear on the show. And as always, if you can't catch us live, please catch us on the replays on Facebook and YouTube, along with all the chats. Or if you're a podcast junkie on your favorite podcast app, you know me. You've never seen me do this before, but you know me. My name is Joe Martinez. I am currently the Worshipful Master of Manassas Lodge number 182 and a Mason in about 45 other places. And uh, with that, I'm going to introduce our very handsome host, Jason Richards. Hey, everybody. Jason Richards here, past master of Acacia Lodge number 16, Clifton, Virginia, member of the Colonial Lodge number 1821 in Washington, D.C., and also muting Joe because he's making a butt ton of noise, uh, also a member of Lafayette Lodge number 79 in Zanesville, Ohio. You have almost as many dues cards as I do. Look at you. I know. Awesome. KSLOR. I still need to get the Kansas one. Are we well it's it's like a well it's like a research. I don't know if we're a member of Kansas if we if we go that route. Like That's I got route. that one and it's cool. But yeah. So before we get into anything, definitely want to give a big shout out to our Patreons. And uh thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for all of the support. It has allowed us to do wonderful things like this phenomenal uh new uh streaming platform that I know Jason absolutely loves. John is John is so excited about Good. it. He had to take a week off just to just to chill, you know. Yeah. And and you know, recollect his thoughts. But yeah, this is phenomenal. So thank you so much for all of your support. We truly appreciate it. Yep. Awesome. So yeah, if you are interested in learning more about the behind this the scene stuff with TMR, go over to patreon.com slash the Masonic Roundtable. We've got a little Facebook group for some of our subscribers where we uh, we just chat and it's a lot of fun. So hope to see you there. Right on. And uh, yeah, for everybody who's with us live, um, if you haven't noticed last week, we started uh, sharing comments uh, live on the show. Uh, because of our fancy new streaming platform, it allows us to see all this in real time. And so, yeah, if uh, you bring up something up that's awesome or a great question or a comment that has nothing to do with Green Beans or Grumpy Past Masters, we will put you on the show. Absolutely. Perhaps. No promises. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. So, Joe, we should get to Tarot Card of the Week. Yes. I'm. Uh, it's my turn, isn't it? Yep. I've I've got a deck ready if you don't. I do not. Um okay. so yeah, if you want to do it, let's uh throw All you right. Up. Here we go. This is the Fountain Tarot, Ooh. which is really just gorgeous uh deck. And what have we got here? We have the world. Ooh. And I am covering it up on purpose. Ah, okay. It's uh, it's not a uh, it's not a PG tarot. No, no. This is this is oh. a PG thirteen, James Cameron's Titanic, uh, level ah, tarot okay. deck. Okay, so. yeah, yeah. It's my wife's favorite movie, Titanic. That's right. Absolutely. So, 
What yeah. is the world? Uh, I mean, for me, it's uh, it's an ending, right? It's it's a cycle of uh, a cycle of life or a cycle in your journey that that is coming to an end, right? So it's a transition point between one thing that you're doing and the next. Really funny. Uh, Jason and I were actually talking about <laughs> transitions in the uh, in the green room. So yeah, it's a very interesting card uh, that you brought out. So just an indicator of big change. What do you think? Well, it's yeah, it's it's unity, perfection. You know, the the idea with the major arcana is that you start off with the fool who is leaving and departing on a new journey, and you get ultimately to like the world and the wheel of fortune, and the fool has completed that journey, and so the world is kind of that natural conclusion to the steps that the fool has taken throughout the major arcana and, um, and the things that, that he or she has learned. I like it. Yeah. Well, good card. Good card. We haven't gotten a really awful card yet. Have we, as we've been doing um, the tarot card of the week, we haven't gotten like the first, (laughs) the first tarot card draw we ever did on TMR was during our tarot episode. And John drew the tower. Oh, boo. Okay. All right. So we won't have him back on the show for a while. Yeah, We're just kidding. No. We're just kidding. <laughs> We're just kidding. John's got a lot going on. So he took a week. Um, but yeah. So what are we talking about tonight? Hmm. So what we're talking about tonight is Derek Zoolander's school for kids who can't lead good. <laughs> and want to help other kids lead too. No, it's a not. leadership school for ants. Leadership school. No, ultimately tonight we are stepping through six common leadership styles and and types because very much you know there there are so many ways to lead in this organization, and the leaders of the organization have so much authority that it very much behooves everyone to get a feel for the different ways that you can be a leader. It doesn't mean you're the master of the lodge. You can be a leader as a steward or or as someone on the sidelines, but it it also helps, I think, to, to understand that leadership shouldn't be you know, one note, it, it naturally requires diverse leadership styles to be effective in diverse situations. And so we wanted to step through, again, those those six common leadership styles, talk about when they're good, when they're not, and, kind of, and see if we can't draw some parallels to ways that we've led or, or we've seen leadership done, um, sometimes to great impact and, and positive effects, sometimes to, you know, resulting in some challenges in Freemasonry. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think it's an interesting topic to discuss because, you know, uh, leadership in Freemasonry is different than leadership in the workplace, leadership in a, uh, um, other volunteer organizations, shall we call it not to say that, that, uh, Freemasonry is solely that, but, um, you have a group of people who are paying dues to be there in an all-volunteer organization. So there is no requirement for their time, for their resources, for their level of commitment. So deciding what style of leadership you're going to employ as a Mason in a Masonic Lodge is is really interesting. And it's kind of, 
what's a good way to say it? it it will impact how successful a lodge is how not successful a lodge is and it you know it can actually change the dynamic of how brothers interact with one another based on certain people's styles of leadership and and like jason mentioned i think it's a it's a great point we're not just focusing on the master of the lodge right that is a really transitory thing um most places it's year after year it changes and it changes drastically, right? Very few lodges that we know of have a consistent leadership style that will go five, 10, 15, 20 years, right? It really changes based on the personalities of the people, what they bring to the table, their skills of leadership that they've got in the real world that they bring to lodge. So um, a whole bunch of different factors can impact what style of leadership is implemented and what that, ha what that does to the lodge as a result. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So everyone in Freemasonry has the opportunity to lead. And going back to, to Joe, what you mentioned earlier, Freemasonry is a volunteer organization. This is a coalition of the willing. You know, some in some places you can get away with being um, a bad leader in a vocation up to a point because people are paid to be there or they might not have other options. People will still leave and people will do everything they can to leave. But, you know, there isn't that barrier to leaving necessarily in Freemasonry that you have in something like a corporation or, or a vocation. So how, how do you inspire and how do you bring everybody else along for the ride? And so that's what we want to talk about tonight. Absolutely. So which one are we attacking first? Transformational leadership. Okay. Go take it, man. All right. So transformational leadership is all about the big idea. That person who says, you know what would be great for this lodge we're all going to go study art in Florence and Ooh. let's make it happen. You know, I heard Ryan Flynn studied there once. Um, no, the, you know, transformational leaders, you know, look ahead and focus on the big picture and they are inspiring and they are the ones tasked with the vision for what the organization, what the lodge, what the you know enterprise can be. Now they don't focus so much on how to get there. So I would say, you know, love him or hate him, Elon Musk is often painted as a transformational leader because he says, oh no, we're gonna we're gonna make an electric car under thirty five thousand dollars, and he leaves it up to the rest of Tesla to make that happen. And so, you know, good things, good things here. You know, actually, you know what, Joe, I will, I will skip back over to you before you talk about like the good and the bad. Oh, thank you for, uh, yeah. Thank you for giving me the good stuff to talk about. So, <laughs> um, I mean, another example that I thought of, uh, was Winston Churchill, right? Um, because the big focuses on transformational leadership are inspiration. Right. Um, that is one of the biggest qualities of a and, and you brought up a great example, Elon Musk, you know, like him or hate him. 
definitely inspires, um, you know, and that is a big component of transformational leadership. Um, out in the business world, you will see transformational leaderships when companies merge, when companies get acquired by other companies. There's usually an interim transformational leader that's coming in to basically inspire, give ideas, and lead people in a new course. Uh, now, for some people, that doesn't work out well, right? They end up jobless um, <laughs> or they end up getting cut. But um, the purpose of those interim folks is to just work on change um, to their change-focused people. So I think that, that for me, that's the good one. Um, transformational leaders are eager to implement change. Um, and for organizations, uh, whether it's a company or a Masonic Lodge, there needs to be change in order for there to be growth and success moving forward, right? You can't just live in a stagnating pool of doing the same thing over and over again. Um, no innovations in masonry, Joe. And that's cool, but there needs to be innovation in how masonry gets given to people, how it's uh, imparted onto people and how you do it, you know, and, and, you know, I know Jason was kidding, but, you know, we don't ride in horse and buggies, you know, 40 miles to attend lodge um, and go to lodge in candlelight and, you know, uh, go to the bathroom outside, you know, things have changed. So, and we've adapted to those changes, but a transformational leader always has change at the forefront. So are we doing something that is going to bring change in a positive way to my lodge or are we changing in a way that's detrimental to a lodge? Are we focusing too much on things we did 20 years ago and trying to relive those quote unquote glory days? That's not change, right? That's looking in the rearview mirror. Um, so that's a good thing. Uh, I would say a bad thing when it comes to Freemasonry or a negative uh, when it comes to transformational leadership and Freemasonry, I would say is change again, right? Because right. Freemasons are um, for the most part, don't like change. You know, they find something that they're comfortable with and they find a group of people that they're comfortable with and then they're comfortable and comfortability is a great thing, right? We, you know, we always gravitate towards people and lodges and relationships and friends that we're comfortable around. You know, I can take my shoes off around you and kick my feet up and shoot the breeze. You know, I can't do that with every single Freemason that's out there. You know, in fact, there's a small handful of those that I can, that I can do that with. But, um, Lots of people, especially those that have been Masons for a long time, change is, is scary, right? Change takes people out of their comfort zone, whether it's good change or bad change. It takes people out of their comfort zone. And in some cases, you have a transformational leadership that is trying to, a transformational leader, I'm sorry, that is trying too hard to bring about change in a very abrupt way. And they leave people behind. I Absolutely. think that's one that's one of the big drawbacks to the transformational leadership style is at some point the cart's got to move and those transformational leaders one you know don't sweat the small stuff so that they end up you know leading transformation in a way that's unsustainable and or they don't bring everyone else along for the ride with them and yep. so you think think back, you know, on on Freemasonry's history, you know, when I when I think of transformational leadership, I, naturally one of one of the folks I go to, not an endorsement, but I, I think of Albert Pike. Like Albert Pike completely reworked a major series of degrees that to this day are you know, the foundation for one of the largest dependent bodies we have in Freemasonry. You know, 
like him or not, um, you know, he he led about a transformation within Freemasonry in the 1800s. Well, well, that's the crux too, right? It wasn't just that he changed, you know, basically, uh, you know, brought the Scottish right to its, to, you know, its current um, look for the most part, he owned it and led it and then carried it forward. So it wasn't just, Hey, here's some stuff, you know, which we'll get to delegate, you know, um, delegating leadership in a bit. Um, he didn't just do the stuff and then walk away. He grabbed it and, led from the front um you know so there's a big difference between those that lead from the front and lead from the rear two different styles of leadership and it's not for everybody so how would transformational leadership in a good way look in masonry joe how could we use that specifically to the benefit of the craft so i think that's a unfortunately that's a subjective question right because we're st we still live in a I'll give you an answer. Don't shake it. This show has never, ever been completely subjective, <laughs> except on like every single episode. I will give done. you, I will give you an answer, but just let me preface it with it's subjective because we still live in an era for good or for bad, where Freemasonry is many things to many people, right? Yes. It is, it's right. You take 10 different Freemasons and you'll get 10 different answers on what Freemasonry is to them. So that being said, um, where transformative leadership is great is when you have like like we said at the beginning you have masonry being practiced in a particular area or jurisdiction and it's stagnating and someone comes in to make some really small changes to give it new life um you know and we've seen that with amazing amazing grandmasters across the country that come in and are like hey let's try this a little bit differently um it's not that abrupt you know oh my god everything is changing overnight change it's small gradual change um and, and I'm going to get Jason's, uh, you know, uh, juices flowing here corporate wise. It's change that can endure the life of that person. Right. So it's you leave change, but then you leave plans and ideas and, and buy in from all these people so that it outlives your term. Right. It it's sustainable. It. That's right. And I will. That's that's why I've always said I will take incremental change that is sustainable over abrupt unsustainable change that will just change back the year after the leader goes out you know any any day and i think that's that's something that that makes transformational leadership very complex and difficult because there is amount an amount a certain amount of buy-in and reigning in of expectations that the leader has to do in a year in a year especially in, year. in freemasonry <laughs> that's right yeah. Right on. Uh, that was awesome. So what's number two? Number two, we're going to talk about delegative leadership or laissez-faire leadership. Mm -hmm. Laissez-faire being the French term for just leave it alone, mm -hmm. often seen in, in economics. So laissez-faire focuses on delegating the initiative to your team members. And so delegative leadership is that ultimate, like, team empowerment, go, do, make the decisions, keep me informed, and we'll go and do really cool stuff together. Um, this is a very productive strategy if team members are high performers and competent. And so if you are the master of your lodge and you have a bunch of new members coming in who are like raring to go and want to you know, set up a book club or 
some sort of study group, like that's a good opportunity for, you know, leadership style to say, great, I'm empowering you to go do that and make those decisions. Just keep me in the loop. And that that's, you know, an instance where delegative leadership could, could work very well and further, you know, Masonic education within the lodge. Yeah, no spot on. And, and I think that, how do we say it? Is it delegative or delegative? I don't know. I like delegative. Sounds like you're delegating. So I'm going to say that. Is it operative or operative? Oh, <laughs> I don't know if they're both right, but no. Uh, yeah, this that's is an about, inside joke. That's right. If you know, you know. If you know, but, uh, you know. I mean, yeah. for me, um, you know, this is, I think you hit the nail on the head when it comes to goods, good and bads. This is only successful, and we're talking about Freemasonry, right? right? Take the corporate stuff, leave it off to the side. This is only successful in Freemasonry if you have people that have the same level of buy-in or interest or um, availability and, and busyness that you do, right? So if you have 20 other people that are as active and as communicative and get stuff done just as much as the, the quote-unquote leader is, whether it's the master or not, um, this is successful and it really works. You know, examples of um, delegative leaders, Warren Buffett, right? Big example. Um, uh, CEO of lots of companies, very large companies. Um, and he basically, he hires people to be leaders under him, tells them to make their own decisions and fix their own problems. And that's what they do. You know, they don't go running up to him every time something comes up. They handle their stuff. So to and your Gary, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk is also another delegative leader. And um, I, I'm a big Gary V fan. Thanks, John Ruark. He, he threw <laughs> me into that. But there's something that, that Gary V says a lot, um, which is, you know, as a CEO or think worshipful master in this case, you shouldn't expect the other members of the lodge or your business to care as much about it as you do. Because you are there, you are that seat of authority. But even in delegative leadership, you know, if someone's excited, I don't have to be fully aligned, you know, on a mental, you know, enthusiasm basis with them for them to still be able to make progress and do well on their own. So don't. Ooh. I, I'm going to, shockingly, I'm going to disagree with you there for a second. So. Okay. Let's 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 pull that thread on uh, on game bond. on. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. so, uh, flex. So uh. if we're talking about a lodge, right? Take the corporate stuff aside. I, I totally get that the business owner component, right? Your right. employees are never going to care about your business as much as you do, right? You're the blood, mm -hmm. sweat, and tears and money person. Now let's go to a, a, a Masonic lodge. You would hope that every single person that's a member of your lodge that is showing up, that is contributing, has that same level of buy-in as the person who is organizing and planning and executing on what the lodge quote unquote, you know, the, the goals of the lodge, right. Or the mission statement of the lodge. Um, you would hope that everybody there has that same level of buy-in and same level of interest that you do. Right. Because they are all quote unquote shareholders in that Masonic lodge as well. Right. There's well, in a, a utopian construct, then yes, but you know, they in the pay, real world. You know, I pay the same dues that Jason pays if we're both members of the same lodge. I don't own more of the lodge that Jason does, you know, so you would think, hey, we're all on the same level. 
Um, so that's why we have so many of them. That's why we have so many of them. That's right. But uh, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's an interesting point that you would expect, unlike a business, that people would have the same level of interest and engagement as you do. But we know that's not the case, right? I would say you can... I, I would say this. Um, you can expect that there will be people who will be very passionate about a certain parts of the lodge experience, whether it be the building, the finances, the Masonic education. Um, but I think it's very difficult, especially for the members who have never held office to have that same type of enthusiasm and or care about every aspect of the lodge that the master has. Well, you just kind of hit the nail on the head there. And, you know, and we, I know we were going to throw our, our personal anecdotes in this as well, but that is right there a perfect way to a perfect example of delegative leadership is you give people who are not officers and don't have positions in the lodge, you give them things to be responsible for. Hey, that they care about that. They care about. Oh, you yes. love education. Hey, why don't you go do that? You love ritual. Why don't you go do that? You love community service. Go out to these people, give them tasks. Number one, that they can succeed at, right? Because you want them to be successful. You don't want to give them impossible onerous tasks. Because again, we're volunteers. We're not forced to be here. Um, you want that success to be measurable. And then you want them to be able to come back feeling like they accomplished something and we'll go on to the next big thing. So yeah, perfect example of how delegative leadership can work in a Masonic Lodge. And uh, CWH says something I think that's that's really great. Um, he says he, he bets that people have an innate way that they themselves developed as people. Um, and that then reveals itself as they become part of a body or group. And so, you know, it's, it's very, it, it gets at the nature versus nurture argument of many times, you know, I, I have noticed this where in myself, where I pick a handful of leaders who have impressed me and I try to emulate their leadership behaviors. And so, yes, you know, how you have evolved as a leader or, you know, the experiences as a leader you have had outside of the lodge, you will naturally bring those in. Yeah, right on. Absolutely. And, and the, and the interesting thing about um, leadership in the Masonic context is you can't just use one single style to, execute your goal and vision and plan, right? You, you have to pivot between all these different, most of these different leadership styles, let me say not all, uh, but most of them in order to actually complete the mission, quote unquote. Absolutely. Yeah. What's next? What's next? You pick. Authoritative leadership, also known as autocratic or authoritarian. Oh. And I, I will say masonry for some reason or another, um, as Joe scolds as puppy. Sorry. Masonry loves authoritative leadership. But, you know, in reading about this style, I'm sorry, I will kill my dog when I'm muted. Jason, take it away. Okay. So authoritative leaders are often, you know, seen as, as visionary. Um, you know, they, as opposed to, 
rallying their people behind an idea or a vision like transformational leaders, they rally people around themselves and say, hey, follow me. I will get us to where we need to go. Need you to trust me on this. Um, they don't obviously get that trust um, inherently, right? They're one big trade of authoritative leaders is they invest in each of their personnel and each member of their team. They build that relationship and build that bridge of trust so that when they say, Hey, we're going to go do this. Everybody's like, hell yeah, we're going to go do this. Absolutely. Yeah. It's that, uh, so again, and, and, Jason already covered it, but this is very different than authoritarian leadership, right? Authoritative and authoritarian, two completely different things. Now, there are many examples of author authoritarian. Wow, my English not so good. Um, authoritarian leadership in Freemasonry, right? But we don't highlight those and we don't stress those. And at the end of the day, they're not they're not good for a all volunteer organization of people that need incentive in order to be there and participate. So let's put that off to the side. So it's different. Authoritative leadership is a little bit different. Um, you know, that whole follow me concept, it's very, um, it's very military and infantry like, right. If you go down yep. to, if you go down to uh, Fort Benning, home of the infantry, um, there is a big statue, big, 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 huge statue of Iron Mike. And it's a soldier in a pose. And he's basically giving you a uh, follow me sign. And, um, you know, that's... Wasn't that a uh, Channing Tatum movie or series of movies? No, I think that's Magic Mike. Oh, okay. Different, yes. Okay. Different style of leadership there. Yes. yes. I mean, it's very body-centric leadership, which we don't we don't know about. So, uh but yeah, no, it's it's not follow me because I'm in charge and I'm telling you what to do. It's follow me because you're enthusiastic and you know what? You're going to climb up this damn hill with this dude because you want to, because the person's engaging, um, the person, you trust this person. Um, authorita authoritative leadership has to do with knowing the people on your team or in your group and getting to know them to the point where there is this inherent trust, right? It's also very hands-on as opposed to delegative slash delegative leadership. You know, there, there's, there's the slippery slope to micromanagement that that can happen with authoritative leadership where, you know, you are very in the weeds with your entire team. And sometimes that can cross over into not just take this hill with me, but I'm going to tell you step-by-step, how to take it and critique you along the way. And, and you just hit the nail on the head there. It is, it is in the weeds and it is lead from the front, right? It's not yeah. leading the rear, sitting there with a cup of coffee on top of a horse, like they did it in the civil war. That's right? not but, how I took Hills in my year. That's right. Yes. Or, you know, yeah. any previous war that you've seen on TV or movies, especially starring Mel Gibson, um, the generals sat on their horses and they did their thing, right? In very few examples, do you see them leading from the front, right? Because it's just a different style of leadership. Um, but again, it's you're doing things along with that person. I'm not going to um, go to that crab festival with, with, you know, but I will because Jason's there and Jason's the first one there and he's got a ticket. So I'm going to follow him into that and probably die, but I'll go with him. Excuse me. Yeah, it was gonna say like you have to get the crab festivals early because they always run out 
Yeah. No, and that and yeah, that that makes sense. It totally makes sense. Let's talk about transactional leadership, shall we? Okay. Transactional leadership is you know, often referred to as managerial leadership. And it it is very much dependent on quid pro quo, you know, you know, I reward you for you doing the work I ask you to do. I punish you when you don't do the work I ask you to do. Uh, it's very much a give and take style of, of leadership. Um, again, based on rewards and incentives and punishment slash disincentives. Well, that doesn't sound fun. Why would that be good? Well, I mean, if you follow the what the boss asks you, then you you know get a bonus or you know whatnot. That can be really good. But let's let's put that back into a lodge. Um, what do I get out of it if I do the task that the transactional leader is asking me to do? You get the James Noah Hillman Award. That's what you do. Like, so in Virginia, we have this award program called the James Noah Hillman Award, and it is a big old four-page checklist on things that your lodge should do to be a quote-unquote healthy lodge um, and in order to qualify for this award. And there's a lot there. It is a bit of a slog sometimes. Um but there, there are things like, uh, you know, making fraternal visits to other lodges, having Masonic educational programs, uh, donating a certain amount of, of blood. Um, there, you know, having, you know, programs on youth groups and youth group involvement in the lodge. Like, these are all things that are arguably good things to do. Um, <clears throat> And sometimes it's very easy for lodges to who are already doing all of that stuff. I dare say with Manasseh, your lodge, Joe, like there's a lot that you all are already doing as part of your business as usual that aligns to those expectations. No, that's that's well, number one, thank you for that. Number two, um, sorry about the dog. But uh, no, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. And I think that. um um, sorry about that. Um, next up on TMR, Joe abuses his dog through a door. Um, uh, no, <laughs> staring at the book I just threw at her. Um, I take that back. I think there are certain times where transactional leadership is good in the lodge. The big, the big thing, and you mentioned it before, is it's very task based, right? Yeah. So it's we have this task. We're going to do a program this month, or we're going to do this component of community service, or we're going to go, like you said, we're going to go visit another lodge. So you give people tasks and the leadership style is engaged around that particular task for that particular person. And it's either a go or no go and you help them along the way. Right. Um, it's motivational. If nothing else, a little bit. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, to, to, to your point, and you touched on this before was, this type of leadership is very checkbox based, right? Kind of like the Hillman award, right? So, Hey, we mm -hmm. did these five things. You get a gold star, you know, and you get an extra piece of coffee cake at the end of lodge. Right. So um, it's, it's very, not, it's not at all empowering or motivational, right? It's, I need to do this task and then I'm good. Right. So I'm done. I don't have to do anything else, 
But what it doesn't do, and I think you hinted at this a little bit, was it doesn't allow people to flourish and innovate. Um, I know that's a bad word. Um, all they all they are centered on is focusing on that small task that you gave them or medium sized task, and and that is their rule of completion, right? You can't grow outside of that. So it doesn't fit all situations in a lodge, um, but it can for for certain things, I think. And if if there are certain things that you as a leader feel that your lodges universally need to be doing that your lodges don't already do. Sometimes giving them a carrot for it and, and, you know, with a transactional leadership style is a way to increase intrinsic motivation for it. Now, you know, if the lodges aren't doing something and they don't want to do something, you you should look at how you might be able to slip into more of a transformational or authoritative leadership style um, or revisit whether or not it's really worth even doing. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's leadership's a choose-your-own-adventure game. It is. I love that. I love that analogy. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, not, not to beat this one to death, but you, you kind of said something interesting when it comes to how this gets implemented. I think that um, if people apply this too much, it will devolve into the, a lot of those other negatives that we talked about. It'll turn into, all right, I'm going to micromanage every single little task that I've given out and I'm going to, uh, you know, overcompensate by sitting on top of things and not letting people do their jobs. Right. And then I'm going to get burnt out or Jason's going to get burnt out. And then all these other people are going to be bored because you've given them tasks, but then you've gone and done it for them. Right. Or, or I'm going to punish people who don't do what I want them to do. And Masonry is a volunteer organization. They're just going to leave. So let's, let's, let's touch on that. Um, Cause I just saw an email. I'm not mentioning names or bodies or anything or whatever, but it was an email from a Masonic organization, I'm not going to name who, uh, that is proposing that they make attendance mandatory for a certain number of meetings or a certain number of events per year kind of thing. And if you do not attend X number of things or show up at X number of meetings, that you're automatically going to be suspended or uh, suspended uh, or, you know, uh, yeah, suspended um, until such time as you... And these have to be excused absences. So it's the whole excused absence scenario here. But there is a, a large group that is toying with this idea to throw this out to the individual jurisdictions. Um, and it goes exactly to your point. It's like now we're going to punish people for not doing the things that we're asking them to do in an all-volunteer organization that they're paying to be at. That's a yeah. good way to steepen the curve of declining membership or desire right or, like yeah exactly all right like so i'll stop paying for something and then i just won't have to worry about going anymore it's really easy you know so i mean th this is a good example of how that does not turn out well right because they're taking a small problem and now they're making it a larger problem by sitting on top of it i think that's funny too cwh absolutely yeah that, i dare say you know this gets to the bigger the bigger point that Oftentimes, I've seen in masonry and other organizations as well, where those who lead 
default to the transactional punishment style where you're not doing what I want. I'm going to try to make your life miserable. And in masonry, especially it just makes no sense to do that. And I get why, because it's harder to be inspirational. It's harder to be authoritative. It takes a lot of work, but if you're able to coalesce this, you know, coalition of the willing, uh, then there's a lot of good that you can accomplish and you can get done. But the, the moment you start down the, the road of, hey, you do the checklist of 10 things. If you don't, like, I'm just going to boot you out. It, to me, it doesn't make sense for this organization. Nope. Now, now that's not to be said <clears throat> for those who are committing, like, Masonic offenses and things like that, where they're actively hurting their lodges and their brothers. That's a, that is not this use case that we're talking about here. No, absolutely. And I think that, um, again, just to not to beat transactional leadership to death, it's, it's good in small doses. Um, this is not good for running an entire organization or providing vision to an entire organization. I think that's a better way of saying it too, right? Because it's foolish to think Jason is a past master. Um, I'm trying really hard to be a past master. Um, and, <laughs> um, you know, that's one of the things that you, you, you have to struggle with, right? It's, it's how do I incentivize people who don't have to be there? There's no compunction to make them be there. They don't have to come to a meeting. They don't have to come to a degree. They don't have to come to an educational program. They don't have to go stand on a street corner during a fair and tell people about Freemasonry. It is not required for them to be a human being to do that. So how do you incentivize them to do that? Right. Well, the answer is you don't punish them, right? You don't punish them for not doing it because there's no requirement that we do it anyway. So exactly right. Ooh, and I think I know who this person is. Um, John O says brothers already have to deal with that at their jobs. We go to lodge by choice and because we want to be there. Yeah. So you have to give them a reason to be there and incentivize them to want to be there and to come back the next time. As opposed to punishing them. Right. For not being there and confirming their suspicions that lodge doesn't have anything that they want to be a part of. That's right. Let's make it more positive. Let's swing back into positivity. Let's out. Positivity. Woo! All right. So I tell you what. Let's just let everybody have a vote. Let's talk about participative and or democratic leadership. Okay. So democratic leadership and participative leadership. It's a style that encourages leaders to listen to their employees and or teammates and actively involve them in the decision-making process. This is very much building consensus and very much a consensus-based leadership um, approach. You know, these leaders, you know, encourage collaboration and, um, you know, it leads very much kind of a, they lead very much a collective effort to identify problems and come up with solutions. Um, what do you think about participative leadership, Joe? I think that, uh, you know, this democratic style of leadership, I think is good in many cases in the lodge, right? Um, when you get buy-in, 
um, I'm seeing posts about pancakes and breakfast and it's really throwing me off my game here. So, um, thank you everybody. But, uh, <laughs> um, I think it's good for a lot of the a lot of the major decisions that a lodge needs to make. At the end of the day, there is someone that's elected to be the autocrat for the evening or for the year or what have you. Um, and, and there are some decisions that should be made at that level. But if you're to the point of if you're if you're promoting a style of autocracy where you're just doing things without any input from your members, you're doomed to fail. Like they're not going to be, they're going to be so excited the last day you're there and and you're gone and they never have to deal with you again. Um, and that's not leadership that works in a Masonic context, right? So for the most part, you should get consensus for everything, right? You should know what your peers want because you're just, you are peers at the end of the day. If you have a hat and a gavel, that's nice. Okay. And you're there to be what the last type of leadership that we're going to talk about is, is, where that hat and that cap will really come into play. But you should be seeking feedback from your members, asking your peers for their opinions, and implementing things that the larger consensus of people want to do. And it's not just, oh, sorry. All I was going to say was it's not the larger consensus of people um, in its totality. It's the larger consensus of people that are there and that are active and participate um, because those are two different numbers, right? So you want that buy-in. Yeah, and one of one of the things that I try to do in my vocation as an IT program manager is I think it's very important, you know, every so often to have a retrospective. And so retrospective to me is the you know, tangible embodiment of participative leadership where you look at the last month or the last iteration and you say, okay, you know, what do you like? What did you like? like? I use the I like, I wish, what if feedback style to say, some people say, what do you want to continue doing? What do you want to stop doing? What do you want to start doing? Same general thing. So what did you like? What should we keep doing? You know, what did you wish was different? What should we stop doing? And then what if we did this? Or what if we started doing this? And it's very important to me that, we hear from everybody in the room and then we as the room then vote on our top things in each category so that we come out with two to three things that we want to work on as a team together and that that to me has done more to build trust and followership and in my teams than like anything else we've done. Well, and that's the rub, right? And and people use different styles for that. You know, the ones that I've traditionally used are a lot less nice, right? It's like what worked really well. And it used to be what sucks, which turned into <laughs> what needs to improve, right? That's the less, that's the less aggressive way of saying it. Um, but then to your point, uh, and again, this is just in a business setting uh, or even in a, in a military setting, um, you ask every single person in that room, to your point, you don't just hit the managers or the directors or the supervisors. You ask that that frontline guy or gal. Uh, you ask that person that is at the, you know, that sits on the team and actually does all the work. Um, you get their input. And to your point, what I find interesting is when you actually corral all those answers, you may get some interesting opinions by people that are not in leadership positions, still have skin in the game and want to offer input and understand that they're heard more than anything else. 
right? So if one of their ideas gets to be on those top two or three favorites, you just got buy-in from that person that you never had before. You know what I mean? So it's it's a self-incentivizing program, right? And it just it just continues and promulgates. So I think that's spot on. That's a great suggestion. Mm. So how can we how can we emulate participative leadership style within the confines of the lodge? Is that rhetorical? Or are you asking me? I'm asking you. <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> I am I am, you know, while I like to hear myself talk. Yeah. Uh, that was not No, what was, was your question? I was, reading, I was reading a YouTube comment. What was your question? Um so how can we emulate participative leadership style within the confines of the Masonic Lodge? Too easy. So the first thing a really good question. Too easy. Easy. I'm sad you didn't listen to it. I'm sorry. I was, I actually want to bring this, this uh, post up in a second um, from a good, good friend of ours. Um, Easy, easy answer. Number one, you communicate. Number two, you realize that if you are the master or you're in some lodges, the secretary actually runs everything. Right. Um, But if you're that person in that position of leadership, you go out and you communicate with people. You talk to a brother that, you know, shows up to all the state of meetings, does nothing else, goes home the second the meeting's over. You say, hey, man, what do you want to see done at Lodge? What would be your favorite thing to do? Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. You know, how do the meetings go? But you start with everybody. It's not just you go to you go to your wardens and you go to the deacons or the guys that show up to practice every week or the guys you're having coffee with on the weekends. Talk to everybody. Um, and you get that feedback and you put that feedback together. And the more you participate with these people, the more participation they will have with you. Ideally, unless you're a jerk and you're mean or you take their ideas and you throw them out the window or you're dismissive with them. Um, it's way too easy to take um, participation and use it as an incentive to improve someone else's experience and also improve your own. Right. Cause everybody's different as, as hard as it may be to believe Jason does not like everything I like. And I don't like everything that Jason likes. It's just not the case. We like most things, <laughs> most things that the other There's person, likes, but not everything. Right. So, and, and I think that actually dovetails really nice into uh, brother Tony. He puts this up. I was told by a Masonic leader early in my journey, you only get out of Freemasonry what you put into it. That would look You're, great on a pen. It would look great on a pen. And I only have one left. Um, in your opinion, what kind of leadership is that? Jason, what do you think? That is delegative leadership. And the thing that I hate about that phrase is not the phrase itself, but the way it's used in the Masonic context, because all too often I have heard that phrase uttered by members of the lodge to the new candidate as an absolution of the member's duty to mentor and develop and bring that candidate along for the ride. It is laissez-faire leadership to a detrimental extreme. Spot on, spot on. Um, yeah, I think that, yeah, I, I think it's, it, it, I don't think that comment fits any of these. Um, and I do want to touch on the last one because it's the most important one. Um, I, I think like Jason said, it's a cop-out, right? It is a cop-out and it's, putting all of the expectations on that new person to start to invest into Freemasonry when they have no idea what Freemasonry is or what, what it can offer them. Right. So it is an absolute cop out. I hate that. Um, 
that motto so much, uh, so much so that my dear, dear friends put it on a uh, lapel pin with my face on it. So, um, yeah, I absolutely despise it. Um, and I think it's a cop out. And I think it's, um, again, to your point, it, it, it shirks the duty of that, that older and wiser Mason to bring that newer one on board. Right. Yep. So, but let's get to the last one. Cause that's my favorite. Yes. All right. Ooh. Let's, let's talk about, let's talk about everybody's biggest leadership buzzword over the past decade. Because Shoot. so many people use this and so few people I've seen actually embody it and implement it. This is servant leadership. Servant leadership is the leadership style that truly puts your team and others first. And it's different from participative leadership where, you know, you're you're not asking for you know people's opinions or i mean you can and and you probably should but you know it's not farming out the decision making instead you know i see servant leadership as like the leadership complement to agape love it is there is no me there is just you and the team and my entire goal as a leader is to empower you as the team to rise and do amazing things and so many times you you find <clears throat> i have found most often that those who talk the most about being a servant leader are those who inculcate it the least or misunderstand it the most however you want to flip that coin. Yep. And, and spot on. Yeah. It's definitely a, um, it's where this type of leader places the value, right. And they understand that the value is in the members and not the individual. Right. So it's, it's to your point, it's the complete shedding of the ego. Yes. 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 And so, and, and you're spot on, you know, everybody, and this comes up in lots of different contexts. It comes up in business context. It comes up in ministry. I've heard that term thrown around, right? A lot. Um, and it definitely comes up in Freemasonry and exactly to your point, um, it gets spoken about a lot, but it never gets implemented. Um, but the biggest thing with being a servant leader is you take every single agenda that is on your plate and you throw it off to the side. Okay. Because it is not about any of your own agenda items right? Your goals, your vision. It's not about that. It's about the goals and visions and agendas of those under your charge, right? And making those shine and highlight, make the entire team, including yourself, successful, right? So when you are employing servant leadership skills, you are, it, it's, it's, a, it's a selfless and, and many times it's a thankless job, right? But you're doing, it's the greater good concept, right? It's, there's nothing for me in this. I am helping to increase the awesomeness of the organization or the people on my team, right? So it's my turn to disagree with you. Go. When you say servant leaders can't have an agenda. So servant leaders are still leaders and still need to work to get things done. It is not, you know, hey, what do you guys all think we should do? Okay, let's go and do that. Servant leadership, I think, you know, there's there's an article that I've read. It talks about ethical decision making. And, it, you know, 
it follows the model of making decisions as the leader that to do what is right for the team and not what's right for you. And so I agree with the complete and utter shedding of the ego. And so I still, as a program manager, have a job to do. I need to make sure that this project or product aligns to the strategic roadmap I've put forward. But that's different from saying you all need to do this so that I can get a promotion. Absolutely right. And, and uh, I, I'm pretty sure I put the word in personal agenda. So it's definitely not... Um, Again, it's those agendas that further you and yourself only, right? And that's the big difference between a servant leader and every other type of leadership that we've talked about, right? You've got leaders that put things in place with the people below them to make themselves come out on top. And in Freemasonry, unfortunately, that happens quite more often than you think, right? I need this medal or I need this award or I need this or I need that. I need this piece of recognition. So people hey, to get into this invite only body that only has 12 members in the entire continent. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So I, I need that recognition. So I'm yeah. going to put things in place and utilize, I don't want to say use, utilize the people that are with me or below me in order to accomplish that goal. Um, no, you're spot on. It's, it's not your own personal agenda. It is the agenda of the overall mission of the lodge. Right. And if those things seem to align, that's awesome, right? If you've got a bunch of guys and you're all on board together, want to move that ship forward in that one direction, that's great, you know, and that's not ego, right? It's just like, hey, me and Jason and Tony and Bob and uh, Philip, we all have the same exact goal in mind. So let's walk forward together. But put them first, right? A leader, servant leadership basically says in a nutshell, you are successful as a leader when every single person that is under your charge is successful as well if not more so. Mm. Boom. Boom. So we got a couple minutes left. Time for the final question. Okay. Joe, what leadership style, all else being equal, do you inherently default to? And why? In Freemasonry, we're talking about. Or in Freemasonry any- or in general. Okay. So I think for me, um, I will put my honest hat on. Uh, I'd like to say that my default, my default setting for leadership is transformational. Um, when it's in business or in Freemasonry or in other parts of my life, I do prefer that type of leadership because at least I hope I'm exuding the desire to be inspirational and the desire to be motivational as opposed to mandating. Um, Unfortunately, sometimes you do have to throw on the authoritative hat Um, when things don't get done, uh, when you you're you're slipping from your mission or your goal completion. Unfortunately, you do have to put on that authoritative hat. I didn't say authoritarian, um, but authoritative. So you've got to put your hands on things a little bit and make sure, you know, your buggy is going in the right direction. Um, but there's no one leadership style that, that fits every single circumstance or person, right? It will vary from situation to situation and person to person. And hopefully you are comfortable with yourself that you can bring on different styles of leadership as those situations come about. So um, I know it's a cop-out answer, but those are my big two. Um 
And, you know, I'm not going to say I'm a servant leader because then you'll yell at me for saying that. Um, so I'm not going to say that at all. But Best yeah. servant leaders never mention it. Yep. Then I didn't mention it. And on to Jason. <laughs> so uh, with me, I will say the leadership style I default to is participative or democratic. Um, coalescing, you know, and getting buy-in from the group is very, very important to me. And sometimes that, you know, I, I pursue that to my detriment or to the, the project's detriment or the lodge's detriment. Um, but for me, it's important that every member of the team has skin in the game and they have some sort of personal ownership. And so as part of that, I have a very participative leadership style where I will ask folks, um, what they think and what they would do. And, you know, it's not, it's not the laissez faire of, Hey, you guys just go figure this out. It's, Hey, what do you think? What do you think? It's, it's more of the facilitator than the, the autocrat. Um, and so, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I strive to, you know, balance that with, um, authoritative leadership when I've got a really good team, um, and, uh, you know, I, you know, for me, transformational leadership, I've, I've never been the big picture vision guy. I have always been the, okay, that's the vision. Cool. I'm going to tell you how we're going to do it, uh, kind of person. And so I, I am big into consensus building and laying out the plan to actually execute. And so that's, that's why I, I default to delegative leadership. So what's your default leadership style and why? Tell us in the comments. Tell us on Facebook. We would love to hear it. Thanks everybody for watching and keep searching for more light. Good night. Wow.